I'm Jason Bailey-Losh, and you're listening to Seeing is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Chris Adler. He's part of the collaborative duo of Adler and Edmark. They're artists and they're gallery owners. They run the space Vacancy here in Los Angeles. They put on one hell of a program, and they are also very good artists on top of that. This is one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Chris and Allie in here. Allie, unfortunately, is not on the show, but we go into the details of why that is in the very beginning. They have a very unique relationship where they make all of their artwork together, and then they run this gallery space together at the same time. And it's something that I find incredibly interesting, just the idea of a collaborative duo and the art making process. But on top of that, being able to spend your time together outside of this and run an actual business and putting programming together for a space that is compelling and challenging at the same time. This story of what they do and how they work together reminds me of my own parents. So it's something that I'm familiar with because my mom and dad work together every day. They live together. They don't spend very much time apart. That's not something that I can do with my partner in life, so it's something I'm highly interested in to see how it actually functions and works. One of the other aspects of this conversation is how do you have a full-time job while being an artist or being a gallery owner? Chris and Allie both have full-time jobs, so we go into details about how that works well as well as how it doesn't. And I'd like to thank Chris for being on the show. Really an amazing uh, individual, crazy good artist, incredibly smart and engaging and honest and to the point. I think the the listeners are really going to get something out of this. So here's Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to start off the conversation, though, by saying that your significant other and your partner in as an artist and your, your business partner, Ellie, isn't here tonight. Correct. She couldn't make it because... Uh, she's preparing for a job interview. And I think, I think that is a highly acceptable reason not to be here for this. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So good luck to, to Allie. Good luck tomorrow. Yeah. There's lots of things to talk about. One of the first things I think we should go into is you guys are a team. Partners and making work and in running a gallery space. Vacancy is the gallery that you guys run here in LA. Mm-hmm. How did that start? You both, you look like you went to school at the same time. You, where did that come out of? We did. So we met in undergrad at Colgate University. We're both making pretty vastly different work. What were you making? I was making video work that was crossing into sculpture and she was making photo based paintings. We had this original sort of nexus of digital material that now is coming back. In the work together. In the work together, yeah. But she's pretty much quit painting. We were working very differently from the beginning. And then um, I moved out after Colgate out here to go to CalArts for my MFA. And she went to New York City. So the first two years of our relationship were... So you were dating back at Colgate. Yeah, we were. But for the first two years, we were bi-coastal. Started dating maybe a month or two. And then we moved across and then you moved. the country from each other. Oh, that was fast. Yeah. So, so this whole project or this whole, our collaboration began with extreme distance, talking on the phone every day. I was at CalArts and she was working for a gallery and for artists in New York City. 
What was she doing? She was a gallery assistant, but also an artist assistant. She was she was working for Micheline Thomas for a while. Oh, Ryan, really? Rhinestoning, which was a wow, just a harsh job. <laughs> That's intense. Um, so, how long was yeah. she there? Uh, she also actually ended up working administratively for her, but she was there for a year and a half, and then the art gallery she was working for uh, folded, and she decided to move out to join me in LA. Yeah, so it was about two years apart. During that time, we would talk every day on the phone. For a portion of that time, I was living in Valverde, and there was no cell service in Valverde, which is north of CalArts, so it was sort of further in the mountains away from LA, and so I would have to drive to this call spot and talk to her. You, you would purposely drive at a, yeah. a, a time that you guys had both set up and then yeah. you'd drive and have a conversation. And sit under the, the shade of a tree right outside of the mountains. That sounds very romantic. It, it was romantic. And I often had my Miller High Life right after work. <laughs> it was great. Just crack a beer and start talking. No, it was wonderful. And we came up with a lot of ideas. Very Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. So that was sort of the basis of our collaborative relationship is this time apart. Where did you go with that? How did that, when did she move out or where, where, what was the next phase? So she moved out towards the end of my second year at CalArts. And then we started making work sort of in a fury of all these things that we'd come up with and long distance and sort of her moving out completely changed my direction really in my practice. So you hadn't actually made objects together until she moved out here. Exactly. It was all conceptual. It was all discussion based. It was all you know, maybe fed off of what she, it was fed off of what she was seeing, honestly, in the New York art world at the time and what I was doing or trying to do and not seeing in LA because I was so apart from LA. And so it was this that's interesting. Gotta, that's got to build up into a real climax though, too. Like yeah. you guys had to have been ready to like explode with all of this, yeah. this energy and wanting to put that into work. Definitely. And we ended up doing uh, two shows as a result of that, like two full shows, one of which was at CalArts and another which was offsite, uh, but which were sort of my thesis. I, I guess it was actually a triptych of shows, but the first one I did without her. So we ended up making a lot of work together. It was a crazy enlightening experience just for my own practice, like having her become a part of like what was kind of missing and like to sort of, I don't know, transition from my practice to our practice. By the way, you guys yeah. go by your surnames. Yeah, Adler and Edmark. Yeah. Yeah, that's how we sort of function. Um, although recently, I will say that what well, we run vacancy for, for most of the year, uh, we'll do, you know, six months, maybe seven months with a summer project included. It opened in uh, January 2015, right? It did, yeah. And so I think we've settled on this model where we'll do sort of September through May-ish in shows, September through April, and then we'll do a summer project. But then during the time off, we'll take maybe three months to ourselves for our own work. So most of the year is spent running vacancy. So we're sort of talking about ourselves now, or we like to refer to ourselves now as, you know, some people are artists who organize shows and they don't like to call themselves curators. Yeah, We're almost transitioning into curators who don't really call themselves artists for most time, yeah. for, the, for the most time of the year, or for most of the year, rather. This is one of those things. When you're putting so much energy and sort of attention and your creativeness into something like the gallery space, mm -hmm. it's difficult to get into the studio and actually function as an artist mm -hmm. because all of that, 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 inner, that, uh, that effort is into that one thing that you want to do really, really well. Yeah. And the, the mode in which we, we sort of nurtured each other was this cross country building of ideas, this welling up of projects. And we, so therefore we work in series, we work in these large projects. 
Oh, so you guys still build up all of this, this, these ideas and everything. And then at the end of that, that sort of session, if then at the end of that, you produce this amount of work. Right. So yeah, we're, we sort of reenact our separation every time that we do a series <laughs> uh, that we do a, 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 you know, a season of vacancy because we're not making work. We're just coming up with ideas. We're talking a lot. And then when we're not doing vacancy during the summer, we get to sort of spit out a lot of stuff. And right now we're kind of in that phase. Okay. So since you were both on opposite ends of the spectrum when you were an undergrad and everything, where have you ended up now as far as the work that you're making? Right now, the work that we're making, we're actually getting back to film. Really? Yeah. I studied film at CalArts, which was interesting because I was actually more on like the art, critical art discourse-y side yeah. of film, even though I sort of always tend to view things through sort of like a cinematic lens because of that training. And I have a lot of formal training in photography and cinematography and all that. And I did that while I was at CalArts. And I'm interested in narrative films, but it's not something I do. We're getting back to making films, which I really didn't feel qualified doing while I was at CalArts. Why? Which is kind of funny because I don't know. It's maybe this like full circle contrarian in me that's like, I can't be doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing yeah. at any one time. So yeah. it's like, I need some time apart from it to actually fully actualize my interest in it. Yeah, no, that totally <laughs> Which makes sense. Maybe goes back to being apart from my soon to be wife. <laughs> Significant other and, and partner in everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're getting back into film and we just took a cruise to Ensenada, Mexico. How was it? And to Catalina. It was great. We didn't get off the boat um, <laughs> because we were filming the whole time. And we oh, got, it was it was part of the project. Yeah. So we have like 30 hours of footage that we're... I thought this was going into just talking about your amazing vacation. No, I could. It was work the entire time? It was. Yeah. We had a few drinks, but it was mainly just, uh, yeah, just all day, every day, two handy cams and a little sound recorder. Wow. Uh, and we were going around filming people. I mean, it's basically, if you think about a cruise, it's this, you pay, it was $60 a night for this cruise in particular. It's the cheapest one you can get essentially outside of the States. Amazing. You, you pay this amount of money for four nights on a cruise ship and a cruise ship is a floating set. You can bring a camera and nobody questions why you're filming or I why you're filming them. Considered that that's genius. And it's, it's brilliant. It's an open set and you can film 24 hours a day, whatever. Nobody cares because everybody else is trying to film their family memories and you're just making yours. Wow. So, I mean, it is, it's a, so our, our movie is at once a, f a family memory because it has a lot of banal shit in it, but it's also this other thing that we're trying to make that, you know, which we don't really know what it quite is yet, but, but we're making it. <laughs> so when do you, how do you guys actually work then when you get into the, the editing process or when you start looking at all the footage, how does, how do you go about that? Well, we haven't actually made a film together. So this is a new experience. I don't know. We review the footage together. I mean, it's similar to how, when we do photography together. So we've done photographs in the past and we're both, we both have cameras. You get a um, sense of you, you know what she is going to like and what she isn't going to like. So you can go through that footage on your own sometimes maybe. Yes, definitely. But we she also do the same have, for you. but we also do have different tastes that tend to collide. Oh, um, really? For sure. Yeah. We play off of each other very nicely. I tend to be more of a maximalist and she's like the coco chanel like take one thing off before you walk out the door wow sort of thing i think that was coco chanel uh, it works for me um, i totally believe it and <laughs> so her editing capabilities are insane she's your filter yeah well i don't want to put it like that like well because you're equals in in deciding what goes in there but i mean she yeah. actually works as for you as the person in that group she works as your personal 
she's the person you are going to throw things against to figure out what you should be pulling out. Definitely. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, it works both ways. Like I definitely like, you're doing the same for her ideas of hers too. Yeah. You're both equals in the Um, whole thing. Yeah. I'm sure if she was here, she would say the exact same thing. She might, she might say that you are actually just her filter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I need to interview her, I guess. Yeah. No, she's going to have to come on, on her own without you next time. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by this idea of, it's not collaboration of partnership. So you've carried that over into a gallery as well too. So vacancy Mm -hmm. is your, this other sort of means of expression for you guys. How did that even come about? Well, first let's go back. She moves out. Yep. You're both here together and you start working together. Where, um, where are you originally from? I grew up between Dallas, Texas and Taos, New Mexico. Oh, your phone number is still Texas too. I yes. just saw that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Still on that family plan. So you, <laughs> mine's from Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How did you get out of Texas? Oh, I, I went to, I went to Colgate. That's that was it. it. That's what it That is. was your yeah, first was like move out. Undergrad thing. Yeah. Although I didn't do that right out of high school. I, I went to university. My father teaches at SMU for a little bit and then got the hell out and then transferred away. <laughs> I was like, I've been here for too long. So where did Ellie grow up? She grew up in Idaho. So yeah. how did she end up in New York? Oh, she went to Colgate. Yep. She went to Colgate too. And then, yeah. And so then that's New York kind of the, the, the track, right? Is that, you know, 95% of people that go to Colgate end up going to New York. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an upstate New York school, so it's just, where is it? Easy at? to, what, what town is it? It's in Madison County. It's in Hamilton, New York. The, geographic center of New York state. Oh, so it's like between Albany and like Syracuse area. Like if you were in the middle of those two. Yeah. It's like four hours Northwest of the city. I I used to go to Syracuse all the time as a kid. We used to drive through Canada and then come down through and go visit. Oh, wow. Summers. Yeah. I have a lot of fond memories uh, of that place. You both just did. I want to get, we'll go back into the, the idea of the gallery and this collaboration in the gallery too. But Mm -hmm. now that we're talking about upstate New York, you just had the sculpture space in Utica you have a residency there? Was it both of you? How did that work? Yeah. So we were jointly invited by Sculpture Space and Colgate University, our alma mater. And what, explain what Sculpture Space is too. Sculpture Space, it's it's an artist residency in Utica, New York, right next to Saranac Brewery. Sounds fantastic. Great. We actually didn't go to the brewery while we were there. It's It's a great residency, very low population, I guess. There are only two to four artists, it seems, at any one time, and you sort of live in this house that's broken up into little apartments that's, you know, a How long does it two go for? minute walk from the studios, and the studios are grandiose. They have, like, arc welders and huge cranes to lift giant metal sculptures everywhere. Um, it's anywhere between a month and three months, I believe. Oh, it's a long time. Yeah, so we were there for five weeks. And we were, yeah, definitely on the shorter end of things. There were two other people there with us. We actually got the first floor of the house and then the other two people got the second floor. So it was kind of like a secluded experience in a certain way. Did you have, what happened at the end of the residency? Did you have to do a presentation or did you do? uh... Well, because ours was on the shorter side, we didn't have an open studios or, I mean, there are constant visitors coming through. Yeah. But what are you going to make in a month? Right. So we made, yeah, we were making these kind of these paper sculptures was kind of hilarious because they have all these like metal, this is like gigantic metal shop. And we were making, you were going for the paper, uh, (laughs) folded images. So that, that was fun. But a lot of the time there was also spent making other people's work. What, what do you mean? 
so we curated this show at Syracuse University called Soft Remove, which featured 11 artists from around the world. Oh, the world. Yeah. Well, a lot of them from LA, some from San Francisco, and one from London. Actually, no, two from New York. So yeah, around the world. Sure, you could say that. It was directions-based, or instructions-based, sorry. So we solicited instructions from... And then created the work. A bunch of different artists and used our time and space at Sculpture, or at Sculpture Space to produce the work. A la Salawit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was an amazing way, I think, for people to be able to chuck ideas in the air that they would never do themselves. Out of bounds. Yeah. Out of bounds ideas completely. And also to talk about the labor, the production of the ecology of an artist-run space, having the curators be the artist assistants, having them be the installers, the art handlers, the photographers. You know, we documented the show, everything, right? It's yeah. basically taking our working model, exacerbating it. Pushing it to another level. And pushing it to another level, but then bringing it to another location also. It also works too, because you know that it's going to be a limited amount of time you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. If that was a, a extended model, you would wear, wear yourself thin. Absolutely. So it was this sort of pulse of energy. And we were able to do that because of the generous space and time afforded by Sculpture Space and by Syracuse University. The show that I, I think actually ended up really well um, because we were able to take full license with it too. That's the thing is that the conversation stopped when we got the directions. So we... You could go as far as the directions, if they weren't like sort of really specific, then you could sort of broaden that approach to how you actually produce the work. Exactly. And everybody gave us massively different instructions. So some people just sent us a drawing. Some people sent us a four-page breakdown of exactly where to put every line in the work, exactly how to handle the gouache, exactly how to do find the table that was needed. What would be interesting probably too is if you did it again, you would pick artists that you would probably perceive to either give you the type of instructions that you wanted or broaden it so that you still got the same type of instructions that were such so broad that it mixed it up in, in these really odd ways. Well, I think that we did this model in general because we're interested artists that are comfortable working outside of the boundaries that they've already established. Yeah. Artists that are comfortable pushing their the boundaries of their medium, the boundaries of their own practice. So this was an exercise, a way to be like, look, you're, you can actually be hands-off here. We would love to just take your work and see where it can go. If you're comfortable with that, that's great. If you're not, that's fine too, so you don't have to be a part of it. But but it's the, way, the way it's set up though too yeah. is not the, the type of thing too where people will get uncomfortable with you making a mark on their painting. Right, exactly. Because they haven't touched it yet. They haven't, they haven't even started. Yeah. So Although Solowit would say that the, the work is finished once the concept is done. So they've touched it a lot, according to him. Well, yes, but you, you, you're, you're coming at it with a new approach, right? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, I think that the discussion around the labor behind an artist run space was really interesting for us. It was also this, I mean, the way that we set it up was, was so that they had zero influence on the work once it was in our hands or once the concept yeah. was in our hands. So it was this, we talked about it in the press release as this curtain of time and space where there were two smart controllers made dumb through this divide <laughs> because basically there's this thing that we're sort of like banging at the curtain and like they can't pass and we can't pass. We can't ask them how to do it. They can't tell us how to there's do no it. There's no further communication beyond. Yeah. So have you gotten feedback from the artist as to what you created off of the actual, the pieces? Yeah. I mean, they seem to like it. We are in the process of binding a book that compiles all the instructions that we got and then we'll be sending that out soon. And so we'll hopefully get more feedback on that. But yeah, I mean, it seemed to be by and large a very entertaining project and people seem to enjoy Did the, the pieces turn out like the artists thought they were going to turn out or not? 
No, definitely not. A few of them did because they were very straightforward, but most of them were pretty massively different than I think than how they. So in the book, will you put the instructions in the book as well as the actual object that was created? So the documentation's online, which you can see, but then the book is just instructions. And some of the instructions, so we had people send us multiple sets of instructions. So some of the instructions were never realized. So you can look at the pictures and then go through the book and try to figure out what is what. The book sounds beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's this, it's just text. Um, yeah, but that sounds really nice. So yeah, it's our first book. So we're, is it going to be available at the gallery or it will be, I think we have like four extra copies. <laughs> really? <laughs> Once we give them out to the artists, you need to make it available on Amazon. I know. <laughs> yeah. That's um, next, next. Okay. Step. So let's, let's get into the gallery. And we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Running a gallery is no small feat. And you guys run a space that is, by all means, a real gallery space. You, you've got art form critic picks. You're like running this really tight show. It looks like it's true to all the artists that go in there. And one of the other sort of crazy things as I was looking through all the documentation of the shows and stuff too, is you are picking other couples or other artist groups that are working together to be to put on things in the, in this space as well too. Mm-hmm. So uh, a few questions. Why are you picking other couples or other partnerships to show in the space? And how did, how did this even get started when you guys were, were so busy anyway? Yeah. So the last series that we did was artist couples. Um, and that the idea for that came from, I guess, a sort of a narcissistic reflection of our own working practice and seeing how other people navigate that space. Did you want to learn something? I think so. I think we always want to learn something. <laughs> but did you think that you were going to go into that and figure out something that worked better for your own, your own process? Or did you just, were you just curious? No, there was no sort of directive behind it of, of we were, you know, we're going to figure out how to live our lives better by leeching other people's styles. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, no, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's actually a pretty apt statement for a lot of how, I don't know. The art world works? Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. Uh, yeah, definitely. No, we always learn things from our shows, but there was no specific idea that was like, we're going to figure out how to make this work better by following like Max and Lauren's right. model. But they have a beautiful model though. <laughs> but on that note, we specifically asked couples who did not normally work together to collaborate. You did? Yeah. And Max and Lauren, who I brought up, were actually situated as, so there are five shows. They were the third show situated as the turnstile, um, the central show, because they specifically only work together as Lauren Cherry and Max Springer. So how many of these shows have you done with like couples? Five. We did five. And that series. How many shows have been at the gallery total? Nine. Okay. So like a majority of the shows have been with couples. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're hoping to keep going. Has anybody written about that yet or not? I don't think people, I know. I don't think anyone wrote about it. Nobody's paid attention to it probably. Yeah. I feel like people knew about it. Select people knew about it. Definitely. So are you going to continue that model or what do you no, so the, the artist couple series is done. So that's I think this is what we figured out is that we like to work in these five show series, um, and so the five show series run from September through April. When we and we a first theme every time really. Yeah, and we you and I met, um, you me and Ellie met like a little over a year ago, I think, like a year and a half ago. And you were already before the gallery was even open mm-hmm. and you were already talking about themes. You were going to do like a three show theme and you'd already have this vision in your head of like the theme thing. Yeah. So why, what was that draw from the very beginning to, to work in sort of the, the secession with multiple shows? We've always worked in series, 
but then also Lauren Mackler. Really? <laughs> she's She's been really influential. Because they, they have the us. series at Public Fiction. Lauren yeah. Mackler runs it, for those listening who don't know, and I, Lauren needs to be on the show. Yeah, she's amazing. She runs uh, Public Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful space, but brings in guest curators and everything else. And her, A great connector. Yes, she is, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah she really is. Um, so tell me how that worked with Lauren, then. Well, we were just fans, really. Of um, the space, of, of Public of Fiction. Of her space, yeah. And we, we saw a stand-in um, or a glass of milk, which was her multi-show series that was sort of that sort of synced up with right when we were sort of becoming hyper aware of like our own interests and like what we were trying to do and that was just that just hit us really hard that was a good series Um, of shows yeah i think lucas was in that lucas was in it but she curated it with um alex okay yeah Yeah. uh right uh, and i will provide that information at the beginning of the podcast for anyone who wants to know yeah and Uh, and the idea of this like i mean that's i mean that's a a huge undertaking sort of this resituating of the space you know every time and you know renegotiating a contract between everything basically the, the the show at public fiction had the same artist for three shows yeah but new work or looking at the yep. work in a different way yep. and you had to reinstall and figure out what the, i'm giving a very broad uh stroke of, of what this was and what it what it sort of meant but there were a lot of really fantastic artists in there mm-hmm. uh, good show yeah, really good show. It it anyway. It was it was really big for us, and I think that a lot of what Lauren does is is really great, and we follow her. So, what got you into opening up a space for yourself, though? As collaborative artists, or as artists that were collaborating, we started find different modes of authorship being present in our work. In what way? What do you mean? So every so we work in these series, right? And every series that we would do felt like it was coming from a different part of our collaborative mode essence. or model. Yeah. <laughs> essence. Yeah. Mode or model. And, and we started to think about them as sort of different types of authorship because we would negotiate the work in a different way every time. And we were really interested in putting these series of works that we had made with these different types of authorships into the same space to form a show. We like one time, one day we woke up and we were like, that's curating on a base level. And so we were like, Oh shit, like we should do, a space we're really interested in putting these sets of works together to create sort of a meaning that's triangulated that's not direct that can be more than the parts so were you worried about that pulling away from your own practice then when you when you started thinking about curating and putting the space together no we were thinking about it as an extension an extension a respite from the practice of being in an MFA program and vomiting out this intense array of works because you did it right after school right (laughs) yeah yeah so we i graduated and we opened nine months later yeah it was almost like yeah i was surprised when you were telling me you opened the space like directly out of school i was like oh that's a terrible idea not not in a bad way that like but like (laughs) you don't have any downtime what are you doing well i also went right from colgate to cal arts yeah i mean that's intense man i mean it it was great it was fun well but also (laughs) i can by the level of the shows and the, the work that you've put into actually putting the space together and everything that's come out of it. Mm-hmm. Everything is so figured out and professional. Thank you. That it, and that's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's like, mm. I really appreciate the fact that you're putting the time in to make other people's work look that good. Thanks. Yeah. It, it shows. What was it about? Why did you stay in LA to open up the space? Like, why did you guys stay in LA after, after you graduated? LA 
provides this amazing opportunity to be lost within a city that you're a part of, a vibrant part of. It's so vast. Yeah, it was amazing. And it was just sort of my dream. I guess I can't speak fully for Allie, but it was my dream to be able to just move to the center of a big city and to just live and to just do whatever the hell we wanted with hopefully a space that we could, you know, afford. And LA was, was that city. I mean, it was, it was this vibrant, insanely accessible art community that you could just kind of get lost in and you can drop out for however long you want. That's absolutely true. It's amazing. I disappeared from going, I used, I'd go out to every opening and I was very present for quite a while. And then I disappeared here like a few months ago for, I think six months. Mm Mm-hmm. And I had a friend in town and we were like, oh yeah, Bob just saw you, like saw you over at such and such. And he said, you're, you're at, you're at everything. Yeah. I was like, I haven't been out in like six months, dude. <laughs> it's like you're, you, but you're, you're allowed the thing with LA, which is sort of nice uh, about the, the community is you're allowed to come back in at any time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like, you've never left and everybody exactly. is just sort of like uh, available. Yeah. And I think that that's because LA has a much lower turnover rate than any other city. For what? For the in terms of artists living there, I feel like New York people get burnt out. Well, San Francisco yeah. people get priced out. You I, know? I did get burnt out. I moved out of there because I was just sort of like done. Okay, it, it just it felt like it was time mm-hmm. to to sort of figure out something. I didn't realize that L.A. was the thing that was going to do that for me. Yeah, I didn't even know when I came. Well, it stinks when you get here. Well, I've heard that from people too, because you've got to like, you have to be, the thing about LA is that it can be really depressing Yeah. because if you don't purposely go out and like get yourself to places Mm -hmm. and like travel a lot and you got to drive all the goddamn time, yeah, you will be sitting at home alone, especially if you're single Mm -hmm. for single people. I've never been single in LA, so I wouldn't know. But like for single people, I've seen many friends that like have a really hard time. LA is a great place to drop out of the scene for a while and hang out or leave LA and come back to, but you have to be involved in something in order to leave it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, that's always been our approach, I guess, is to, is to really try to exist on this plane of activity and then to leave and then to come back. And that's kind of like the summer thing is like, we're taking some time off right now. Does the gallery close or not? The gallery. Yeah. The gallery is closed and we're using it as a studio. Okay. Yeah. And so like this is our thing during the summer. We're like not blaming ourselves for missing openings because you can feel bad if you miss people's shows. Friends and friends. Yeah, of course. Associates. We were also talking earlier as well. You have a full-time job. Yeah. And you know, Ellie, she's applying for another job. Like, and I have a job. It is not easy to be a full-time artist and actually hold a full-time job at the same time. And it is not necessarily the most glamorous thing in the world either. So it's not like talked about very much. Right. I will say that Allie works a lot harder than I do because I get my full-time job is a lot of times freelance photography, which is right. not office work per se. Allie is definitely like the workaholic between us in terms of like how she just likes to get things done. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys ever see the... I the... like to do interviews and drink beer. Yeah, this talk, by the way, we're drinking beer. Yeah. <laughs> She's preparing for a job interview. She's playing. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Well, hey. Anyway. Artists don't often talk about the idea that they actually have to go work or they have to do something else on the side. And I don't think mm-hmm. it's, I think it becomes this thing where it's a little bit unsexy to talk about it because you think like a, a gallerist or an advisor or somebody else is going to look down on you 
for actually having to go out there and work to make ends meet. And I, that is true sometimes. Sure. Do you ever get concerned that between the idea of like having the full-time job plus being gallery owners and then being artists that you're going to get lost as an artist in there? We make work when we want to make work. We make money because we need to make money and we do shows hopefully regularly funded by our jobs. But at this point, we're just trying to cruise for a little bit and just do that consistently. You yeah. Know? Just to have that tripartite job, gallery, artwork, and to somehow cycle between those two without creating too much stress. And I don't think that we're careerists in any way at this point. We're just trying to like, stay level. In what way, though? Or like figuring well, out what your career is going to be or like where you're. Well, that's the thing is that we've chosen this glorious and miraculous career path where there's no track there's no idea like what the fuck you're going to be doing in 10 years yeah so like i'm we're talking out of my garage right now it's a wonderful garage it is a wonderful garage but my point being like we're doing anything to get by yeah we're we're making we're making do with exactly what we have and making this thing work totally yeah i mean and that's i mean that's kind of the dream right is to be able to exist on your own terms yeah I mean, you could, you could want more money. I do want more money, but it's not what I'm focused on. Or right? Ellie. Yeah, exactly. It's not what we're focused on. I don't know. Call that what you will. But right now, we're cruising. I think that seeing the work that you're making and everything that's come before. Yeah. Seeing the gallery and how well it's doing. Yeah. It allows other people to look at that and sort of be able to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or think that they can do the same thing. In your neighborhood even, uh, there's some other amazing galleries that have opened up over in there. Yeah, I mean, basically all the galleries in our neighborhood have been there, I think the same, I think we all opened up pretty much about the same time. Um, So it's Ashes on Ashes, which is an amazing gallery run by Andy Gusinato. Then Parkview, uh, run by Paul Soto, which is uh, actually has gotten a lot of press and uh, an apartment gallery, um, second floor of an apartment building. Skiba MacArthur yep. just opened up. Yep, Skiba MacArthur just opened up. Um, he seems to have a really interesting model of uh, of working with artists. I mean, I think a lot of the work is made on site. In it that is made on small site. Yeah. room uh, connected to it, which is which is really cool. And the space is beautiful. Commonwealth and Council is is a mainstay of, of Koreatown. They're incredible. It's incredible. Awesome. Yeah, Young is Young is he's young. He's a life force. <laughs> <laughs> No, and he's been running the space, which moved from the Cross Streets Commonwealth and Council to give their backstory, which is what their name is from, uh, like seven years ago. So it, it was originally started as an apartment gallery, and then they moved to the second floor of this building above Obi Bear. Yeah, amazing space. They take up, I don't know, what is it, like 3,000 square feet huge. of the second floor of this it's apartment really building. It's really big. Yeah, they're sort of blowing out walls and connecting it now. Uh, Michael Ed Holty has a great show he just curated there, which is currently up. David Bell who's a young affiliate just opened a space on that same floor called visitor welcome center. Yeah. And they're doing really cool. They have a good show up right now too. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a really, it's a really interesting neighborhood in general, just because it's sort of central to everything, but home to not any gentrification or any, uh, like huge scene. It's, which is great. You can, again, just sort of get lost in it. I really wish Ellie could have been here, but thank Mm -hmm. her for me yeah. outside of this. 
Yeah, definitely. Did you want to talk about you at all? Do you, does anybody talk about you? No, nobody show? generally talks about me. Well, we're in your studio, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, this is all yours? This is all my stuff, yeah. This is amazing. Where does it all come from? Uh, this all comes from my uh, father-in-law in North Carolina. All the bits and pieces, and then they go into the sculptures. All of it. Wait, has that always been? Yeah. That's, that's wow. Yeah, to the point now. I mean, it's pretty intense looking. Wait, and does he send you stuff, or this is like an archive? That's... No, he sends me items and He's... boxes and everything else. It's come to a point now where I actually go out and I, I know where I'm at in the objects and how to like find them. Yeah. That, but originally, the, the sort of intent was that it separated me from this, these issues of putting value on things, either monetarily or just sort of mentally. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy something for $15 and you buy something for $150, you're going to want to use the $150 thing sooner to build like an object mm-hmm. because you place this automatic value on it. Also, too, when you look at something, you automatically have a reference point for it and sort of can associate it with maybe this, it's a sentimentality. Yeah, And if you start erasing those things, you can start looking at the objects as just formal objects to sort of figure out what you want to do with them. And then the, the value system comes out of that like later on. Well, your works are so interesting. They have the sort of like planetary quality to them. They're weird. Yeah. <laughs> they're super, they're super weird and monotone and well, you know what? The, the, At the same time, they're loud and soft and they're supposed to be curvy. They're supposed to be this humor in the object, right? So yeah. like if you're going to build something or make something that has a, uh, if it's going to have a modernist approach or a modernist feel to it, you got to have some type of humor in there as well at the same time. We should mention too, you were kind enough. Like the reason that we initially met was because you guys wrote me. I had a show here in LA and you wrote mm-hmm. me to come like talk about the work and everything. Yeah. And you were both really. Duck rabbit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you guys were both, I curated that. And right. you guys were both really kind and generous with your time and like coming through. Me? And you like, walked us through it. <laughs> well, I know. I, you know what though? It's like what we were, I really appreciate anybody taking the time to like want to come take a look at the work and have a conversation mm-hmm. with with an artist or somebody. And it means a lot when somebody reaches out. Like I, I don't take it lightly. Yeah. And the same being said for you coming on the podcast and everything too. So like, really thank you for being here, man. Totally. Yeah. We should do a proper studio visit. We will. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just not on the, not on the podcast next time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, thanks for coming. Yeah. Thanks Jason. Yeah.